It's good to see you, fam. How are we doing? Good? Good. Excellent. Hey, we're in... I'm really excited you're with us today. I think we're, we're, we're headed into, like I said, my, it's really my four favorite Sundays of the year. We're walking into our Advent um, season. So we've started our new Advent series. And so every single week we're going to take a different aspect of Advent. Uh, today we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about how love relates to Advent. And, and, and Sam, worship team, thank you for, for leading us to God's throne this morning. I think you've just kind of set the tables for, uh, for God to do something great in this place. So I, what I want to do is I want to pray for us. And uh, we'll pray for Titus as well. And uh, God, we, we will uh, I will ask that God would meet us here, that we would see what he has to say, okay? Lord, we thank you for this space. We thank you for uh, this time we, we can dedicate to you. We turn our attentions, we turn our affections, we turn our ears to your spirit. We ask that you'd speak to us today, that you'd change us, that you'd show us what love is and how love played such a huge part uh, in this Advent season. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we're in our Advent teaching series. If I don't grab my notes, we'll be going all afternoon and nobody wants that, okay? Um, this helps keep me on track. Uh, we are talking about, for the next four weeks, kind of leading up to Christmas, uh, the, the basic different aspects of Advent, and today we're talking about love. And, and I think a lot of times if you study these and look at these different Advent series, you kind of see that most of the time love kind of comes later on in the four weeks. But I wanted, to, obviously we don't do things the same way here. At, at New Ice Church, the way that most people do. Um, but I wanted to tackle the, the subject of love today first, because I think without this, nothing else in Advent makes sense. Nothing else, the, the reason for Christ coming, the reason we celebrate his birth would not make sense. Because I think love is the foundation for everything else we're going to learn between hope and peace and, and, and everything else we, we, we look at over the next few weeks. And so we're starting with love. And I think love is a word and love is a subject that, that we tend to abuse in, in today's world, isn't it? The same word that I use to describe my affection for God is also usually the same word I use to describe tacos, Right. And if for any of you have ever seen me eat tacos, you know about my deep love for tacos. Right. But it just it seems like we, we tend to have a, a misunderstanding or an abuse of, of, of the word of into love in today's world. You know, my history is for 11 years. I was a youth pastor in the States before God called me into this crazy little world of church planting and moved my me and my family halfway around the world. And so I got to see firsthand just an entirely misrepresented, skewed version of love based on the lives of teenagers for years. And oftentimes it happened within the course of a week of camp. Right. You could see within the week of a, of a camp, love bloom, mature and then wither and die within the lives of teenagers, right? I think of um, one instance, one Wednesday night, the last church I was a youth pastor at, we really, um, we saw a need to reach teenagers and make a place for teenagers that no other church in the area wanted. And so we, we just created a space where, where 
they we let them know they mattered. And so we, we with that we saw a lot of growth, but we also saw kids with with different problems, different issues. Um, we had to have policemen come and, and patrol because whenever you reach people and and minister to people where they are, sometimes life gets messy. But anyways, the, I I remember one particular night, these two middle school girls, 13, 14 years old, come up to me before church even begins, and they'd had their arms around each other, and one girl says, you know, this girl, she's just been having a really hard time, and, and she's just not getting along with her parents, and she's in a bad situation, so she's going to live with me in our house, and I'm going to help take care of her, and we're, I'm, we're just going to be roommates, and I'm going to let her stay with me, and in my mind, I thought, boy, it's really great that you've just volunteered that room in that house that you don't have a name on the mortgage for, and uh, help to volunteer to buy food that you don't really uh, have to pay for and all that. And so then, by the end of the night, one of them came, they didn't come back at the end of that, by one, the end of the night, one of them came up and said, you know what, we're not friends anymore, and I'm not even going to talk to her anymore, right? So in the course of one night, love just, boom, blossomed, and then boom, withered and died. But we, we tend to... Um, have this misuse, this misunderstanding perhaps of what love really is. Oftentimes, I think for most of us, if we're, if we're going to be a little honest, and I hope we can create a safe space here today, for most of us, we associate love with something that makes us feel good, right? Right? If God is blessing me, if God is giving me everything I need, if I got that promotion, if my wife made tacos, then I love my wife even more because I got it, right? It's almost as if we've, we've taken love and, and to be this beneficial contract, right? Love is something that just feeds us and gives us something good to feel about. And, and like I said, we've kind of t tied that and brought that skewed understanding of what love is into our relationship with God. And so if, if God gives us that promotion we prayed for, if God allows us to, to, to get that advancement, if, if, we, if we got that flat we put the bid in for, if it, this, that, and the other happens, then, then God must love us. And I love God because he's given me this. And it's almost as if we've misunderstood what the meaning of love really is, right? And, and, and if we think of it that way, then there's times where, like, maybe you had a really good week, like you, you read your Bible every day this week, you, you felt like you were pretty nice to your kids, your coworkers most of the time. Maybe you saw somebody, you give a little extra money to, to somebody begging. So you walk into church some Sundays thinking, I've done really good this week. God must really love me even more. Right? Because I've benefited him, and therefore he must love me even more. But I think it's important that as we begin to walk into Advent, as we begin to anticipate the coming of God incarnate in the flesh here on earth, residing with us, we understand and perhaps redefine what love really is. Right? I mean, Christmas Day... My kids love me more than any other day in the world because I give them, and Santa Claus gives them presents. But I think it's important for us to redefine. You see the giddiness coming from the Dutton brothers now, just even when we use the P word, right? All right. But um, it, it's important for us to redefine what love is. And I think that, that luckily 
not luckily, in his sovereignty. Sometimes God may, has us want to kind of imply some things in scripture. Sometimes he knows we'll struggle with things. So he just black and white puts it down on paper so that we can't mess it up. And that's what we, we see today. God actually defines for you and me what love really is. And it's found in first John chapter four. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to first John chapter four. And you're, what we're going to do, first of all, is we're going to redefine according to scripture, what love really is. And then look at a few stories throughout the Old Testament to see how that's put into action. And that's a, that's a, that's a key uh, tip or, or, or a spoiler alert for you. It's, it has, involves action, okay? So if you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11 first this morning, okay? So this is John writing to his friends. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. So the first thing we see is that love is from God. It's something that we receive. Love is something that starts and ends with God. It's steadfast. It's faithful. If, if God's love is a response to your performance, it's something that would have initiated with you, but that's not what scripture says here. So if we think I've done really good and I've, I've, I've given a little extra money to church this week, I've, I've, I've been a little bit nicer than I, I should have, I've, I've done all this, therefore God must love me more. That's, that's implying that, that love begins and ends with you because of your performance. But that, doesn't, that isn't what scripture says. It says it starts and it ends with God himself. Let's continue to read on. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And then this is it. Look at this. That this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So what do we see there? We see that God, that love is not from us. God is the inventor of love. God, has, God holds the patent and the copyrights on love. God is the one that gets to define and decide how love works. But too often we tend to, to allow love to be this, this emotive state that we fall into and we fall out of. And, 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 and love it has a lot of that, but I think love is so much more according to Scripture. Love is so much deeper than just an emotional feeling that our brains have triggered. And so if we tend to just limit and confine love to an emotional experience, you're going to miss out really on what love truly is. And so it's important for us to redefine that. You see, God gets to define it because he invented it. Whenever you invent something, you get to define it. Therefore, since God invented love, 
he gets to define it. And and I tried this week to come up with a better definition than this, but I just couldn't, so I'm going to totally rip it off of him. Uh, a guy named Vody Bauckham, I heard him speak years and years and years ago at, at a conference, and he's a huge, big former football player slash current theologian, just scary man, right? Like I was in, in, this, in this arena of like 5,000 people listening to him talk, and I was just intimidated. Like I didn't want to move because you didn't want to draw attention to yourself. Just big, booming. Like when he talks, it's like just crushed velvet kind of comes out of his mouth, but in a forceful way. Like just you want to hear him, but you're kind of scared of him. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting off on the subject. But Vody Bauckham gave a, a talk where he defined love as this. And he was talking about in the aspect of, of, of if you want to – I'm getting off track. Let me just give you the definition of love. Again, we'll be here all day. Love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. Okay? Let me say that again. Love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of of its object. And we see that formed through Scripture. But so often in our life, all we focus on is this emotion, right? Love is that, that flitter-flutter of, of feelings that you get whenever, uh, that Carol gets when I walk in the room still today, right? That's the feeling that she gets. All right, she also gets nauseous, I think, at those jokes as well. Um, but... But too often we limit that to be what love really is. Bodhi said something too. He said, anything you can fall out of, fall into, you can crawl out of. So often we tend to think that I can fall in love with this person, right? As if like it sounds like it's some kind of accident, right? As if you trip and fall and you wake up and you've got love all over your shirt, right? But, it's, it, but love is not that. Love, according to Scripture, is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of the object. Love is so much more than a feeling. Love is initiated with action. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. That's what we're, we're waiting in anticipation for on Christmas Day is God giving us his son. It's an act. It denotes movement. It's an act of the will. God had to choose to love us. That's what blows me away is that every day I wake up, I wake up because God chose to love me and give me life and breath that day. And God is under no obligation to do so other than just he has willed it to happen. Too often we think that love is something that you can kind of go into this as if like love is kind of this fog that we just kind of meander through. And that's a very poetic notion, but it's not what lines up with Scripture. Love oftentimes means being around and doing things that you don't really like to do. I mean, there's so many times, my wife and I are on our 15th year of marriage, right? And there's been so many times where I think both of us have told each other, you know what, I love you, but right now I don't really like you, right? 
I see a lot of the, I see the elbows working from the spouses today. But no, but so in, or, or perhaps a lot of another time, another thing she says to me a lot is, you know what, I'm going to have to choose to love you today. I'm not easy to love, right? I leave socks all over our home at times. I leave cabinet doors open, right? I do things that typically don't cause people to easily stay in that fog of love because I'm a broken, sinful man. Isn't that right, kids? I see that amen. Thank you, brothers. Okay, but, but what we see from God is that God chooses to love you, not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. This may be a really uh, harmful thing to hear today, but God doesn't love you because you're awesome. God doesn't love you because you bring something outstanding to the table or to the relationship. Okay? God loves with his will. It's his choice. To which, if that's the case, it really changes how you read 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? When you think of God's love for you, look at this. Where it says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Think of it this way. God chooses to be patient and kind with you. God chooses not to be jealous or boastful or proud with you. God chooses not to be rude. God chooses not to be irritable or keep records of being wronged with you. God chooses not to rejoice about injustice, but chooses to rejoice whenever the truth wins out. Like love is not this blissful state of floating across the clouds with holding hands with your soulmate. I could get into a whole nother sermon about whether or not there's the one for you in life. Here's a spoiler alert, singles. There isn't a one, okay? What I'm going to show you today is that if you think that there is a person out there that God created to meet all of your needs, you're not going to find them on this side of heaven. Because ultimately, if you're looking for that, you're kind of walking into a relationship with the wrong perspective of saying, what does this person have to offer me? Does this person meet all of my needs? Does this person have everything that I'm looking for and more in life? That's, that's not how God created relationships. It's more, what do I have to offer this person? What can I bring to the table? Right? But it change, if, God, if, if, if God chooses to love us with his will, it completely changes how we can view these verses about love. But here's the thing. If we love with our will, if we choose to be patient, if we choose to be kind with the people we love, then it does change our emotions. Our emotions will follow us. Our emotions will come with us. But the, the, what we see is that ultimately this definition of love is throughout all of the Old Testament. If this is the definition of love, that according to, to, to kind of scripture, that we're going to work with today is is what really what love is. And love is not just what we can gain from somebody. It's a sac, but it's a, an act, a will of sacrificiality, a, w- a, a will of sacrifice. Then, then it changes how you start to see 
God's love. And, and, and here's, what you, here's the interesting thing. As we continue to walk towards the birth of Jesus, what we know as we read through Scripture is that Jesus is mentioned or every story throughout the entire Old Testament in one way or another points us, points you toward Jesus. Think of Genesis. Think of the very, let's go to the very, very beginning. Genesis chapter one, where God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he creates everything on, in the earth, underneath the earth. There's roaming on top of the earth. Then he creates man, and then he creates woman. And he says, all of this I've made for you because I love you. I put the effort into this, and I willed this to happen for you. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to love me by choosing to do right. So in this entire big ball of, of water and dirt, there's these two trees that I put here. And I put them here because I want you to be able to have the ability to choose me. So one of these trees gives you the knowledge of doing wrong and doing right. This other tree gives you eternal life. Okay? Eat anything you want. Just don't eat those. So what happens? We eat, right? We do what's not right. And so when Adam and Eve took from the tree the knowledge of good and evil, they ate the fruit from it, which, newsflash, probably wasn't an apple, okay? There's not many apple trees in the Arab world or in northern Africa, okay? But anyways, um, when they ate of the fruit, they all of a sudden discovered, I've done wrong. And I don't have any, any kind of protection in this world anymore. Because up until that point, they had the protection of God himself. But as soon as sin entered the world, through their own choices and actions, that protection was broken and they were separated. And so often we think that the story goes that God came down, said you need to get out of this garden. And we tend, we tend to think that that was like a punishment, right? That it was a punitive action on God's part. That God said, you've done so much wrong, you're, boom, you're out of here, right? And we tend to think of God as a vengeful, angry, punishment-inducing God. But the reality is, if you read through Genesis again, God removed Adam and Eve from the garden for their benefit. Because he knew that he was, if he was to leave them in the garden after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would eventually eat from the tree of eternal life, become people who would never die, and then forever be separated from that protection. What you begin to see throughout in that story itself, I believe it's in Genesis 3, God says, I'm going to remove you from this garden, but I'm, I'm putting plans into place so that we can come back together. And he talks about how the Son of Man will come into this world, and, he, and when he curses the, 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 and he curses the serpent, which we know is Satan, and says to him, you know what, you're going to have to crawl on your belly, and you're going to, there's going to be a man one day that comes into this world, and you're going to bite his heel, you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. You can kind of get the imagery of, of a foot coming down upon his head as he bites it, and that we know that imagery is of Jesus. 
Jesus was in the works. Jesus was part of the plan from the very beginning, folks. Then you start to think of the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. And how Abraham had waited years and years and years and years and years for God to fulfill the promise of giving him his son. And then he did. And there was much rejoicing. But then one day God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. He says, I want you to go with your son up a hill. And I want you to, I want you to sacrifice your son to me on top of that hill. And along the way, as they go up the hill, which has to be a little bit of an uh, awkward conversation between father and son at that moment, right? Abraham tells his son, I want you to carry the wood on your shoulders for this sacrifice. Doesn't that remind you of the gospel story? When Jesus carried his own cross up a hill for us. And you think of story after story after story, and I could continue on all day, but I'm not. I'm going to choose one more, and we're going to look at how it has an, how it is literally love displayed today. And it's in the book of Hosea. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, you can flip open or tap over to Hosea chapter 3. And this seems like a kind of an, if you know the story of Hosea, it may seem like kind of an odd story to jump to, um, Whenever we are talking about um, about Jesus and presence and and Advent, but hang with me because it's it's absolutely relevant. For those, just to give you a little bit of, of of kind of a synopsis of the story, Hosea is a priest. He's a prophet. He's somebody that God uses to kind of be his microphone or his mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. And, and it was during the time whenever. Uh, this story kind of t- occurs during a time whenever Israel was was disobedient to God, had turned its back on God, and had left the protection of God. There's a current theme throughout Scripture, is that, that they had left the safety and security that God provides us to go their own way. And so God says to Hosea, hey, I'm going to use you to tell people what I can do and how I want to redeem them. But in rather than just a normal way of how a, a prophet would stand up and say, this is what God has said to do. I, I think you need to listen to him. He says, I'm going to have you live your life in a way that your story is going to preach this message. And so he tells Hosea, I want you to marry a woman who is at some point during your marriage going to give you some kids. You guys are going to have some children, but then she's going to turn her back on you and she's going to leave and she's going to choose to be a prostitute instead of being your wife. Kids, I'll tell you what a prostitute is later at home, okay? All right, but, but he's gonna, he's gonna, she's going to turn her back on you. She's going to be sold. She's going to be willingly become a slave prostitute instead of being married to you. But I want you to go chase after her. So that's where we start to pick up in Hosea chapter 3. And and in this, kind of through this story, God uses the the life of Hosea to really kind of preach his message in that in, in, in this story, the character of Hosea is God. And his wife, by, who's, who has the name of Gomer, by the way, so those of you who are thinking about having girls, please don't ever name your child Gomer, okay? It doesn't really roll off the lips. But anyways, Gomer is the trajectory of Israel. The children that Hosea and Gomer have previously is kind of the, the representative of the nation of Israel. 
And so what you see is that after probably around four years of marriage, because you, you see that Gomer and Hosea got married and then he had three kids. So you figure probably about four years. She's left him to go into slavery as a prostitute. And can you imagine the rejection and the hurt and probably some of the embarrassment that Hosea felt? And can you imagine the conversation he has with his children when his children say, Dad, where's mom? When is mom coming home? And can you imagine what that conversation must have been with, with he and his, his, his children as we pick up in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another love. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship him. So the first thing we see is that God had to tell him to go. God had to tell him to go. And that's significant. You know why? Because on his own, Hosea hadn't. If Hosea had gone to go seek out and, and rescue his wife, he would have done it already. But God had to tell him, it's a choice, it's an act of your will to go out and to find this woman. And could you put yourself in the shoes of Hosea? Can you imagine where he had to go and the conversations with the type of people he had to have with just to find where his wife was? You know, wrapped up in that entire kind of, I don't want to call it subculture, that entire mess of people are not exactly the most upstanding of citizens, right? He had to go to some really, really sketchy places and talk with some really, really skeezy people just to get the information he needed to find out where his wife had willingly gone to. So he eventually finds out. And he eventually had to go and see where he was and look, where, see where she was. And so what happens in verse 2? He says, so I bought her back. 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And so he has to go and he finds out there's an auction going on for some human trafficking with some really, really, really just broken, awful people who are trying to buy human beings for the lowest possible price. And he finds his wife who had willingly gone to there. And he purchased her back. And then you can read on this week as you want to know the rest of the story, but I want you to to understand that this story is a perfect real-life illustration of God pursuing you and purchasing you while you were at your worst. This is not a story about how to be a good husband, okay? By the way, this is not, that's not the lesson in this. 
That's 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 not what love is. If if, if you are try if you are seeing all these qualities that we talked about about love. And, and, and think that, hey, why is my spouse not this, right? Like if you're taking notes feverishly today so that when you get back maybe home or have at lunch, you'd be like, hey, how come you're not any of these to me, right? Don't do that to your spouse. Don't look for things in your spouse that can only be found in God himself. Like don't put that, that on a person because you will never be satisfied, folks. You will never be satisfied if you're looking for that idealized person that you think you saw in Scripture today. Because none of us are there. You know where we are? We're all Gomer. It's not very uplifting for Christmas, is it? There's no jingle bells involved in this. But what you need to understand is that when you were at your absolute worst, lowest point in your life, God sent his son in a fragile, delicate, finite, at the risk of harm state as an act of his will to show you the depth of his love for you. And then he watched as his son, who stepped out of eternity into the dirt and the grime and the filth of a barn, grew up and lived a perfect, spotless, blameless life. And then willingly put the wood on his shoulders to be the 15 pieces of silver, the five bushels of barley, and the measure of wine to buy you back. That's love, folks. That's love. And the only way that we can say that, you know what, I love God is because he went through this first. And every single story throughout the Old Testament in one way or another points us, the reader, towards Jesus. So as we continue on throughout this series, throughout the next three weeks before we head into Christmas, know that everything that happens from here on out is because God first loved you. God first loved you and he purchased you when you were at your lowest. Let's pray. God, Thank you. Thank you that love comes from you. That the only reason I can love you is because you initiated it. You stepped across the line first. You embraced us first. You purchased us first. And you showed us how much you love us. You didn't just talk a good talk. 
You didn't just come with flattering words that, that make us feel fluttery, but you got down in the dirt and the grime and, and, and the brokenness of humanity. And you showed us what love looks like. It's sacrificial. It doesn't look to, to, to meet its own needs through other people. But it comes to rescue. Love rescues. So Jesus, we thank you. And as we as we as a family enter into this season of anticipation, of, of waiting, of, of hoping in what is to come. We're reminded that the only reason is because we can come through a posture of love because you first loved us. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that when we were at our worst, you loved us. You sent your son for us. When the night was darkest, you sent the light into the world. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.